I am Mike Gorman, the voice of the Boston Celtics, and you're listening to The Shootaround. Hey guys, and welcome back to The Shootaround. I'm Nick Harvell. Joining me today is none other than Mr. Chan. What's going on, guys? On this episode, we're finally going to break down the trade deadline as well as talk about All-Star Weekend. You know, there's a whole lot to get into, so let's not waste any time and get right into it. First off, I want to apologize on not getting a trade deadline special to you guys earlier, but uh, better late than never, I guess. Um, it was tough because the deadline day was the same day we had the honor of hosting Mike Gorman on the show, and uh, you know he was obviously more important to talk with than having us give our opinions on the deadline's winners and losers. So anyways, let's move on. We can't say the words trade deadline without immediately thinking of the Cavs. I mean, we touched this topic on our most recent podcast, but I really want to get into depth right now. They blew it all up. They blew everything up. Uh, now, Mr. Chan, were you surprised by any of the moves Cleveland made? And like, I know it's a little early to say, but you know they look like a much better basketball team than they did pre-deadline. So talk about what the Cavs did right, wrong. Um, I think they did everything right, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, ne- I knew that they were going to make trades, but I didn't think that they were going to absolutely blow it up the way they did. Because I didn't think that the trade partners would, would allow them to get the pieces that they did. Because I think that, you know, their additions, George Hill, Jordan Clarkson, Rodney Hood, Larry Nance. I mean, those are four big key additions. I think that, you know, earlier in the season we had talked about, I thought the Cavs had a very flawed roster. Because I thought that their knockdown shooters couldn't defend. And their defenders can't be knockdown shooters but now they have the perfect pieces that complement LeBron's game which are athletic 3 and D guys who can switch multiple positions on defense right and uh, you know they also got rid of D Rose and Isaiah as much as I love Isaiah let's face it they're both liabilities on D and uh, you know George Hill can defend the one pretty well and as well as Jordan Clarkson they're both great scorers and spot up shooters as well as defenders alright on the Celtics side of things you know, they signed Greg Monroe off the buyout market, which in my opinion is a very good pickup because he's a great passing big, and uh, I believe he has the skills to thrive in bad, Brad's system. But they kept quiet on deadline day, which really surprised me. I thought Marcus Smart, well, I mean, I should say I hoped Marcus Smart was as good as gone. And, uh, you know, I thought he would get moved in some sort of deal for maybe Tyreek Evans or Lou Will. And uh, I think it's crazy that Memphis held on to Tyreek after they held him out for the last week leading up to the deadline in hopes of moving him. So, Mr. Chan, are you happy that the Seas kept their core intact, or do you wish they made a push for anyone like like Tyreek or Will, some guy who can provide scoring off the bench? Um, I actually thought, you know, if they made a push for somebody, I was hoping it would be Lou Williams or Jordan Clarks- Clarkson, actually, uh, because I thought those two guys kind of fit the dynamo guard that we needed. But at the same time, I also understand that, you know, why we stood pat, because I thought that, uh, Memphis, their asking price for Tyreek might have been a little high. Um, I think it's a one-year rental with Tyreek. And he, you know, he's been on a hot streak from three this year, but there's no guarantee that he'll stay there. Um, now, I, I know that, you know, I know your opinion and your feelings on Marcus Smart, but uh, I actually think that I'm really glad we didn't move Marcus Smart. Because I think, you know, as many bad decisions as he sometimes makes... I think that he's a huge difference maker on the things that aren't on paper. Because if you look at the Celtics lately without him, their defense as a team has been horrid. 
And if you watch them play defense on the court, it's also been just, I don't know, they're missing that edge that is there when Marcus Smart plays. Because I think, you know, Smart just does so many little things on defense and outside of offense that it's infectious. And I think we're missing that edge guy right now. Yeah, and I I think another uh, key factor in the Celtics' recent struggles has got to be you know, where we are at this point in the season, you know, 50-something games in, or what is it? It's actually 60 games now, I think. And, uh, you know, we got, like, six rookies on this roster, guys who are used to playing 40-something game college seasons, and they're already 15 games above what they're used to playing. And I think some of these guys are getting a little tired and fatigued, and I think this all-star break is going to be great because we're also going to get Marcus back for defensive purposes. But, um, you know, I also think it's going to be a good chance to get these young guys some rest and, Getting them back on their feet. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that um, Jason Tatum might have... Um, he's looked a little sluggish lately. He's a little sluggish, but I think his shooting numbers are down. I th- I correlate that with his pinky injury. You know, since that... Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you need all your fingers to shoot. But I think Not he's if you're still, Gerald Green. <laughs> I mean, I, I still think he, you know, he's, he's going to be all right. And I think at the end of the day, you know, the Celtics just, uh, you know... I, just to rewind it back a little bit, you know, at um, at the Cavs game against the Celtics at home on uh, Paul Pierce re- retirement night, I think um, you know we we just our ball movement hasn't looked as good lately, and I think that you know um, too many guys kind of just stop moving the ball. I thought that while Marcus Morris, I know you're very high on him. Uh, while Mar- Marcus Morris had a pretty solid game, I think he's shooting 30-something percent for the month of February so far. So, you know, that is concerning to me. And um, while Marcus Morris's strength is kind of, um, you know, he's pretty good at making those isolation shots, I think that the, the Celtics as a team needs to recommit to moving the ball again. I think mm-hmm. when things go south, you know, in a game when the other team makes a run, too many guys are trying to do their own thing and trying to do too much instead of trusting the system. I agree, and as much as I love Marcus and Terrier's ear, Marcus Morris rather, and Terrier's ear, they're both obviously guys that love playing hero ball. And uh, you know that's something I think that Brad's going to need to t- talk to these guys about for sure. Mm-hmm. Get them all on the same page, and I'm not worried. I think it's going. I think we're going to see a much different Celtics basketball team come back at this break. Oh yeah, I always think if you look at the past years, um, we always kind of. I wouldn't say always slump, but our play always drops a little bit right before the All-Star break. And As then, do a lot of teams. Yeah, and uh, I think, you know, the, the key is to peak at the right time. And uh, I think while Toronto has that first seed, you never know. They might burn out by the, by the playoffs. Um, so, you know, it's the ebb and flow of the season. So what do you think Boston has to do to reclaim that number one seed? What do you think their biggest improvement has to come from? I think it comes from, um, you know, when you think about it, just two main things. It's just, one, much more intensity on defense. I thought that, um, you know, it was, as evidenced by the game against the Cavs, like, yeah, they were hitting shots. But uh, when you look at, you know, it, it was two factors. The new look Cavs, they're able to run a lot more stuff. And uh, I think at the game, I was, I was talking to you, and, you know, I thought that, their dribble handoff action, um, you know, allows them to get middle. Um, and that kills our team defense. And I think for our guys, it's Brad is going to make the adjustments. I think the key is, 
you know, even on that dribble handoff action, you either jam up the handoff or, or you find a way so that they can't get downhill right down the middle of that defense. Because when it when it happens, you know, you either have to bring help off of a shooter mm-hmm. or you're bringing help off of a roller going for an alley-oop dunk. Right. So I think that, you know, defensive intensity has to pick up. We have to adjust for it. And offensively, we need to get back on doing the little things like, you know, instead of just isoing Horford in the post or iso ball in the perimeter or just having Marcus Morris do a high post post up by himself. It's, you know, trusting the ball movement again, setting good ball screens and making the right reads. Yeah, for sure. 100%. All right. So now we'll shift west and talk about the Houston Rockets who didn't make any trade deadline moves, but... They did pick up a few key pieces in the buyout market. They picked up uh, what is it, Joe Johnson and Brandon Wright, which are two you know key pieces on this team. How do you think Joe Johnson's going to impact this team come playoff time? Um, I think that he brings veteran experience, and you know, if anything, knowing D'Antoni's style and how fast they play and how many threes they put up, I think that in a pinch, you know, if you got a couple guys who are cold, put Joe in there, let him heat up, let him ISO. Um, I think that Brendan Wright is also a great energy piece, a, a tough big man who could rebound and protect the rim. Um, and he'll, he'll provide depth for them inside. And I think, you know, the Rockets team, if, if they could play some better team defense, you know, their offense is more than capable of winning the couple series. Yeah, so I know you think that Joe Johnson's a huge pickup. Or not a huge pickup, but a, a very good pickup for Houston. I just don't see him making a huge impact on this team because let's keep in mind he was he wasn't really doing much in Utah at all this season, averaging seven just over seven points a game. But uh, something that really stood out to me, which is something that is going to definitely affect his play in Houston, mm-hmm. his three point percentage from twenty the twenty sixteen seventeen season was forty one percent, and with Utah it was down to twenty seven percent. He was taking around the same amount of shots per game, getting around the same minutes. I mean, I just is this a season-long slump? Because he's played one game in Houston so far. He's one of five on threes. So, I mean, that number's got to go up if he wants to. Yeah, I mean, I think those back. numbers will even out. I think that um, one of the factors to his slump, like his decline in numbers, not just age in Utah, but um, the fact of the matter is, like last season, his numbers, I mean, he shot 41%, but his scoring averages weren't amazing in the regular season. I think this year, without Gordon Hayward, um, without George Hill, the spacing, you know, it's a bit off. So he didn't, he probably isn't getting as many quality looks. But I think that in the playoffs, in a pinch, you know, he has a penchant for hitting big shots and he could heat up in a hurry. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, he could, you know, I'm not saying that he's going to average like 20 or something, but in a pinch. 15 minutes, 12 minutes a game, he could give you some instant scoring, get you some energy. All right, that's fair to say. And, of course, as we finish talking about the trade deadline, you got to talk about my buddy Isaiah. Now, on the opposite side of the country is me on my least favorite team, playing with my least favorite player, Lonzo Brick. <laughs> Isaiah has just been op- not been able to catch a break since the 2017 playoffs, and I just hate seeing him go from 0 to 100 when he first arrived in Boston, and now he's back down at 0, like... I mean, do you think that Isaiah is going to thrive in L.A.? And, like, do you see him having any long-term, long-term future, rather, with the Lakers? Um, I mean, I don't 
in terms of long-term future, I don't see it. You know, I feel really bad for Isaiah because I've never seen a player's value just skydive like it did um, yeah. in the past year. I think that um, <clears throat> he brings – I think his numbers scoring-wise will go up because in L.A. it's a much more up-tempo game the way Luke Walton coaches. But I think that, you know, it, it's, it's very obvious that Brad Stevens was able to hide him really well on defense last year. And, you know, even the, maybe he's still recovering from the hip injury, but it, it's tough. You know, you look at the Lakers ever since he's been on there. They've been scoring more, but they're also giving up a lot more. Um, I don't know. I, I watched the um, I watched the Mavericks and the Lakers play um, that night, and there was a picture where, I mean, the Lakers, they've, they went on a winning streak because they put Brandon Ingram at point guard, and they played a lineup that had a lot of length and athleticism, allowed to switch on everything. But in that Mavericks game, Isaiah was actually switched on Dirk a few times. And, uh, you know, on a closeout, it's like, I, I think the only thing Dirk might have seen was Isaiah's fingers. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, it's love the guy, love his heart. It's just, it, it's tough for him to, you know, get his value back now that all this stuff has happened. Yeah, as much as I love him too. I, I also thought it was interesting that Mike Gorman talked about, you know, um, how he wasn't the biggest fan of Isaiah's, and that kind of caught me by surprise because Isaiah seems like a guy who just loves having like being the center of attention yeah. and like embracing it. But um, I mean, I know you you weren't there for that podcast, but I, I thought that was interesting to hear yeah. Gorman talk about him. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, Mr. Gorman, if you're listening, uh, I, I would have loved to be there, but I'm also you know a head coach at a high school basketball program, so I had to I had to duty to my team. But um, <laughs> but you know, like I I actually wasn't too surprised. By that, you know, I, I love Isaiah in the sense that he gave everything for the city. But um, at the same time, you know, like, personally, I'm not a huge fan of Floyd Mayweather. Um, and, you know, they're very close friends. So that, you know, like, that to me... And they like, both have, like, some of the highest egos anyone can have. It, exactly. But at the same time, you know, you, you look at the success Isaiah has had, you know. he It's almost like he needs that ego. Mm-hmm. He needs that confidence in order to thrive. Right. But uh, I, I wasn't too surprised, um, you know, because it, 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 it was what it was. You know, Brad did a great job showcasing Isaiah's strengths and minimizing his weaknesses. But, you know, even last last year, last spring, we were talking about it. And, you know, as much as I know that you have a personal relationship with Isaiah, you know, I, I thought that we, I thought that he had peaked, that roster had peaked. And I think that this season, you know, with, Jay Crowder and Isaiah. No longer on the Celtics. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think you see what I'm talking I think yeah. a lot of people see what we were talking about. Yeah, for sure. Season. For sure. All right. Let's shift into the All-Star Weekend's biggest moments or most notable moments. <laughs> let's get this started by just, uh, we'll, we'll get back to the dunk contest and the rebound contest, but let's talk about All-Star Sunday night first. Pre-All-Star game, that national anthem by Fergie <laughs> was... Maybe the worst thing I've ever heard. I mean, what, what was she thinking? I mean, I think that, <laughs> like, you know, as, as an artist, I felt like she tried to put a her different own take. Yeah, exactly. This is what, that's what I was thinking. Too. It just, you know, with the national anthem, I, I feel like it just, it's either you do really well and people re- respond really well, or it's kind of what happened last night. Right. She, she tried putting her own little twist on it. I think the national anthem, like, 
should just be sung as the national anthem. I don't think putting a twist on it's going to do any good. Yeah, I mean, um, actually, I will say, I don't know if you heard when, when JoJo sang at uh, the New England Patriots game, she had put a little twist on it, and that sounded really, really, really good. I did not hear um, that. Go, you know, go onto YouTube and check it out sometime. I mean, she did a beautiful rendition, um, you know, and her vocals are great. I think for her, you just missed the mark. I think, you know, she was almost like going for a, a, a sexy tone, you know, but it's just... It's the national anthem. You, yeah, it was I, all over the place. I, I don't. I didn't know what to think yeah, about it, but and, I, it was not good. Whatever it was. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, even before that, I you know, since we're on the pregame, I felt like the pregame took way too long, and I was just oh god, waiting. the whole Kevin Hart thing too. And the, <laughs> I was like, just get the game started. It was supposed to start at eight twenty. I think jump ball was like at like eight forty or something. Yeah. It was it was ridiculous. Anyways, let's uh let's talk about All Star Saturday night. Let's talk about the dunk contest. You know, personally, my pick to win the dunk contest before it happened. Oh, well, let me let me tell a quick story real quick. So, every year, uh, I have my buddy. Shout out to Roger. Um, we do this thing where like we'll put money on certain <laughs> players in each competition. So we'll put like <clears throat> we'll go alternate, huh? Fake money, right? Because I don't know about this. There's oh no... yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah. fake money, fake right. money. This is just because of course, as, I... as as your teacher, you know, like the saying, <laughs> fake money, monopoly yeah. money. Hi- hypothetical. Anyways, um. So we each put like money on certain people, and um, you know if, if they if that person would win, we'd we'd alternate picks, and whoever won that challenge would walk away with the money. So before the dunk contest, I was like, all right, I need to get the number one pick for the dunk contest. So I took Dennis Smith, and I was like, it's got to be Dennis Smith. I, I I was so high on him, forty eight inch vertical, and then he got ended up getting Donovan Mitchell the second pick, and then I took Oladipo, and he took Nat. Anyways. I thought it was a lock for Dennis Smith to win it because Donovan Mitchell was the replacement for Aaron Gordon. Mm-hmm. And I listened to the I Am Rappaport podcast with Donovan Mitchell as the guest. And he was like, I'd love to compete in the dunk contest, but there's no way like I think I'd ever be able to win it. And so immediately there, I'm like, okay, like if he doesn't think he can win it, why would I think he can win it? And so I picked Smith. Obviously, that didn't turn out too well. And Donovan Mitchell won. I lost a couple <laughs> bucks, but... uh you know, can we talk about the dunk contest? What, what, what were you impressed with? Um, I think I was uh, I was really impressed with, and I have been impressed with so um, throughout the year. Donovan Mitchell um, played at Brewster Academy uh, at high school, and um, you know, just athletic specimen, athletic specimen, um, very talented kid. I was very impressed with him. I actually thought that um, Dennis Smith Jr. should have got more points for his dunks. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like Larry I thought so too. <laughs> yeah, I felt like Larry Nance. Um, I felt like Larry Nance should have won. Um, and you know, I I think my personal take is when you pay homage to like older players, I feel like those shouldn't be automatic fifties. You know, because it's not asking. Like it's not in terms of the creativity realm. I feel like that you know, unless you're related. To the person you're paying homage to. You know, Larry Nance, that's why I should have thought he should have won it. Because I thought that was creative. I mean, because of the relationship with the dunk that His you know, father he was had. paying tribute to. <clears throat> and so, you know, with with the Vinsanity dunk, it was a great dunk. Don't get me wrong, but it's like, alright, you know. We've seen this before. It, it, was, it was like a poor man's original Vince Carter dunk, is what it was. It, I, I don't think he should have won off that. Yeah, I mean, I don't think so either. And I guess... 
the toughest part is that as the years go on, it's going to be tougher and tougher to see more creativity. I, I mean, I'm partial to Vince's generation because I grew up in it. But I thought that Vince Carter dunks was the peak of the dunk contest. Because I remember seeing it live and when he did the honey dip and just dipped his entire forearm into the hoop. The entire living room rank went crazy. My cousin and I, we ran around the house and we're just like, it's over. And I just haven't seen any dunks since then that made me go, wow. Not even the Blake Not even dunks. the Levine-Aaron Gordon contest. In my opinion, that's the greatest dunk contest of all time. I mean, that was a great dunk contest, but it wasn't... There was just something raw to the way that Vince was doing it, you know? But then again, I, I might be biased, you Yeah, know? probably like, a little bit, but <laughs> I mean, I might be biased too because this is like the Levine-Aaron Gordon one was like the first dunk contest I saw live where I was like, oh my God, this is crazy. I mean, it was literally back and forth 50s for like three straight rounds. It was, that was crazy, that one. Yeah. Anyways, moving on to the three-point contest. I lost this one as well. Uh, I picked Clay first, but... Uh, my buddy got Devin Booker, and my goodness, he was cooking in that contest. He made 20 out of 25 threes in that last round. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's one of the best shooters in the game right now. And I think, you know, the, the be- beautiful part about the three-point contest is that, you know, I don't think a lot of folks know just how much skill these NBA players have. And... You know, all it takes is one hot streak or one cold streak, and that's that could make the difference. I think that, you know, if you watch NBA players warm up, if you watch guys like Kyle Korver who are shooters warm up, they don't miss, right? Even guys even have, guys who aren't shooters don't miss. Exactly. And so, you know, I think that the, the thing I love about the three-point contest is that it's always anybody's game. But, you know, the purest shooters, like, they see a couple go in and they're on fire, and that's what Devin Booker did to, to he catch. He looked like a machine. With. Yeah. And the scary thing is, he's only 21 years old. Oh yeah. He's got so much room to improve. You have no idea how much I wish the Celtics had him. I know, like a few years ago uh, when he was drafted, I, I did everything to, to trade for him um, when I was playing with the Celtics in 2K. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely proven himself out there for sure. Yeah. And uh, finally. Let's talk about the All-Star game itself. The Team LeBron, Team Curry format. First time captains have ever done you know, anything like this. It always was East and West. This is the first time with a new format. Did you like it? What did you think about it? Um, I mean, I like... I thought it was a lot more... I, I noticed players wanting to play more. Like It seemed a little bit more competitive. Obviously, it's still high scoring because in the end, it's an exhibition game. But like... At least it was intense. And when Team LeBron finally got the win, everyone was like celebrating like they just won like a, a playoff series. It was, yeah. it was great. I think that, you know, they, they did say afterwards that the NBA PA and the league office mandated that they be competitive. Um, I mean, I like the drafting format. Um, my, my biggest thing with the All-Star game is there's not enough. The stakes aren't really there. I like the fact that they were battling for a charity of their choice. That I, I really like that. It made it really meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you know overall, it's just you know it's it's a fun exhibition. That's what the All Star Weekend is. And growing up for myself and a lot of people in my generation, we watched the All Star Weekend for Saturday night, not really so much Sunday night because you know I know that um, schools are on February vacation right now in, in Massachusetts, but you know. 
not always worth it to stay up late watching an exhibition game Sunday night if you got school the next day. Yeah, for sure. So uh, what was your favorite moment from the game? I thought LeBron had some crazy lobs. Oh, LeBron had some crazy lobs. I think my favorite moment, and again, I might be biased, was uh, that crazy move that Kyrie pulled off without carrying it. Oh, my God. It's like, I don't know how he contorted his finger. You know, like... Guys, if you haven't seen this clip, Kyrie Irving did, like, this thing where he, like, used his offhand and, like, had it, like, almost, like, behind his back and, like... Oh, it was crazy. It was... I I definitely recommend looking it up if you haven't seen it. It was the love child of... An in and out move combined with a behind the back. Like it was a behind the back in and out. That's what it was. Yep. You know, a, a, a quick in and out. But the thing is, he did so without carrying the ball. And he still made a pretty angle cut that got him that lane. Well, I wish he had finished that play. Oh, and, that would have been, that been but everywhere. That move was just was filthy. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, so now the next topic I know you wanted to get into a little bit, which is the Basketball mm-hmm. Hall of Fame finalists who were announced the other day. Uh, some of the big names are Chris Webber, Grant Hill, Steve Nash, Ray Allen, and Jason Kidd. But, um, you know, obviously these are some great deserving names. But do you think there's anyone who was snubbed this year who should have gotten uh, – or should have been named the finalist, rather? I mean, it, it, I think it's always tough. I mean, um, I mean, what do I know? I'm a lowly civilian, so – I, I I always think that there are always people. You could al- always argue that there are people snubbed. I I love the list this year. I think that every single finalist right now did something that was very significant for the game. That was very revolutionary. C Web, one of the best passing big men. The the two that early two thousand Kings, really fun team to watch. And and just he was a very highly skilled big man. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually thought that if he had played like in this era. His skills would have been showcased even like even more. Um, I thought that Grant Hill, one of my favorite players growing up um, to watch, very exciting, um, very deserving. I, I think that you know, like I just wish that he wasn't hurt, uh, you know, with those serious injuries. Yeah, he career. and T Mac have those crazy stories that like make you think about what could this person have oh, been? Yeah. Like, what could he have been? Oh, he yeah. could have been one of the all-time greats. For sure. And then, you know, you got Jason Kidd, one of the best point guards of all time. Steve Nash, who's great shooter. Like, the, the, originate, uh, the original scoring point guard um, in that Phoenix Suns era. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying there aren't other great point guards, but Nash was just, oh, my God, the passes that he would make. The shots that he would make. I, I miss watching that Suns Yeah, team him play. and Stoudemire, that duo. That Shaq. pick and roll. With, but not just that, but Joe Johnson, Sean Marion, mm-hmm. with Steve Nash. Quentin and, Richardson. And Amari. Oh, yeah. That, that was a that was fun a, yeah, team that was to a good watch. Team. That was um, a little bit before my time, but, like, <laughs> you know, there's there's t- there's video games and clips on YouTube that <laughs> oh, can make you feel I like just you wish you'd seen that live. Um, but, you know, and then also Ray Allen, one of the greatest shooters of all time. And, Not my favorite person, but you know, well, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Kim Kim Moki, who's one of the uh, best women's college coaches, so you know, you could always argue that guys like Chauncey Billups. Um, you know, Chauncey didn't get in it. Not not yet, but you know, at, at the same time, that's why I say there are so many worthy basketball players. You know, in my opinion, you know, Ch- Chauncey is a Hall of Fame player. Yeah. You know, Ben Wallace, Rashid Wallace. You know, those guys. Uh, that Pistons team was tough. <laughs> they were tough. And, you know, guys like Len Rice, Vlade Divac, who was also a great passing center. Yeah, and also one of the greatest European big men 
to ever play the game. Exactly. You know, um, all personal problems aside, Lamar Odom's on the on the list that's eligible. You know, Marcus Camby, uh, Michael Finley in terms of how much he meant to the Mavs, Anton Jameson, who was one of the original like do it all forwards, mm-hmm. Sam Cassell. Oh yeah. Um, I don't yeah. know if you know this, but like. <laughs> what makes it like how long does a certain player have to I don't know if you like if I'm putting you on the spot or anything but how long does a certain player have to wait until they're eligible to enter the Hall of Fame um, they have to be fully retired from play for at least three years that's it to be eligible yeah okay. um, and you know there, there are countless players that are so deserving and it's so hard to because there's only so many that could admit, be admitted um, and, and that's what I find fascinating um, I just think that instead of saying like snub like you know make you know, I think the the biggest problem I have when it comes to Hall of Fame uh, with the word snub is that it implies that someone who is getting in this year shouldn't be in. There's so Everyone many. on this list deserves to get in. It's just a matter of oh, yeah. when they deserve to get in. Right? Exactly. And, and I think eventually, like, a lot of these guys will get in. Uh, it's just a matter of when. Um, you know, and so, you know, I, I hope that guys like... Chauncey Billups and Ben Wallace and Rashid get in. I mean, sooner I loved, rather than later, for sure. Yeah, I loved Rashid. Uh, I don't know if I told you this, but back when he was with the Blazers, I actually have like, uh, and I think it's at my parents' house somewhere. But there's actually a figure that I put up in my room with Rashid Wallace. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, the last thing we're gonna talk about before we wrap up to today's episode is the Paul Pierce retirement game, and we're we're saving this because it's really the best for last. Mr. Chan and I both had the honor of being in the, in the TD Garden that night. I mean, what a night that was. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, not going to lie. I mean, the game. Like... Let, me, let me just talk about this real quick. The <laughs> game was terrible. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. Celtics got manhandled, but the Garden was rocking the entire time. For, all for Paul Pierce. Yeah. And, and you know, that's... I, I just wish that the Celtics played with more pride. I mean, I'm not saying that they didn't play hard, but it's just they were missing that edge. Yeah. And um, you can say they weren't playing hard. I mean, it really looked like they weren't playing hard. Yeah. I mean, well, the Cavs are also just on fire from three. I, I think my biggest problem is that, well, it was a combination of things. The in terms of the game, I felt like the Celtics, um, because of the Cavs' newfound athleticism, they couldn't get into the lanes as well as they used to be able to, and so. The result of that, or what, like nine for thirty-six from three or something, something ridiculous. Yeah, some stupid. Set up for a lot of threes, um, but you know, like like I said, I think we'll figure it out. But oh my god, that night, um, you know, I I remember watching Paul Pierce play since I was a kid. Paul Pierce is the reason I started watching basketball. <laughs> like he's literally like, oh, it was. I'm surprised I didn't cry. To yeah, be honest. I mean, I I'm didn't cry, lie. which is I was I surprised myself a little bit. I, I teared up. I teared. I up teared up, but I no nothing rolled down the cheek. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have, I might have had a few roll down the cheek just because, you know, just seeing those highlights, you know, like, um, you know, which is why I wish I had a chance to go meet Mr. Gorman too. I mean, since I was a kid in that living room, like I was probably younger than you are now, like watching Paul Pierce. Just drill that shot in Al Harrington's face and like listening to Gorman call it and just seeing that replayed and just being like, wow, like Pierce really played all those years for us. Like he he embodied so much of what it meant to be a Celtic. 
And it wasn't just because of numbers. It wasn't just because of scoring. It was the way he played. It was the way he played. It was... He was such an all-around player that he embodied that. I mean, you know, sure, like, people argue, yeah, Kobe had those five rings. But Pierce, he was by himself. He was the 10th pick. And and he was not just a scorer. He was a great passer. Um, he was so crafty and so shifty. The way he scored, even. I always joke, he has the slowest, fastest spin move ever. That old man game. He's the slowest, fastest player ever. Like. <laughs> yeah, that, and, and that's, you know, when I coach young kids now, I'm always like, you don't have to be the most athletic. You just got to have the smarts to be able to change up that speed. You know, just like me, you know, not the most <laughs> athletic, but uh, I don't like to brag or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I do still remember when, you know, I, it, it was just really emotional that night and seeing Anton Walker there and just remembering, like, seeing the highlights of like Tony Petit, of when Walter McCarty was a player, when Tommy was like, I love Walter. <laughs> and, you know, um, all those Tommy points, you know, remembering, like just, just the memories of, you know, chanting wife beater at the garden at Jason Kidd. Um, <laughs> you know, when um, when they had like Kerry Kittles, Kenyon Martin. That's when the um, summer league was still at UMass Boston. Oh really? Did yeah. the league start? Was it? Did it start there? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I, I mean, I would say I don't know if it started there, but they definitely played the summer league games in UMass Boston. Oh, I remember Kenyon Martin showing up, and uh, like the crowd was booing him, and then he, you know, just you know used his hand to signal the series win versus losses against us, and that was that. But I mean, just so many memories. It's like. We grew with Paul Pierce, you know? Right. I, I mean, I literally grew with Paul Pierce. I started watching Celtics in fourth grade, and I'm still watching them today. I've literally, like, evolved watching the Celtics. Yeah. Uh, another thing I love that they did at the, at the Garden was, like, play all those tributes at the end, like, each quarter for Paul. Yeah. Like, college highlights, and then, like, the beginning, and then the big three, and then the end. Like, it was all just perfectly done, and yeah. it was just... Great job by the Celtics as a whole. I mean, it was it was so beautiful, and uh, you know, I love the fact that KG and and Doc and Rondo showed up. Oh, but yeah. uh, you know, as a quick side note, what do you think kept KG's hood on the entire time? Tape. You think so? Tape. No way. Tape. No way. What do you think he glued it? No, I think I think. Do you think it's just a shape of his head that just kept it on? I don't think it was the shape of the head. I think that the hoodie was just exactly the snug size. Because nah. he's so tall and lanky, there's no way he got tape on it. There, he 100% had something that was sticking it to his head. No, KG, his head is so shiny. There's <laughs> no way that that glossy surface could have any type of tape that stuck. Speaking of glossy heads, someone who was not at Paul Pierce's tribute was Ray Allen. Mm-hmm. Did that catch you by surprise at all? Um, I mean, because like, he, he did post on Instagram, like I think a day or two later, that he was like... I still have so much love for Paul and the entire Celtics organization, but like, if you really did, why were you golfing in Florida? Like, you could have made the trip. Well, yeah, I mean, I think he's intimidated by KG, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think you know there, there's something going on there, but you know, Pierce, Rondo, KG, those are like, you know, they're kind of the old school guys that, that are they're really the about loyalty. Yeah, they're the OGs. Like, you know, I love KG growing up. Like when I was in middle school. I used to draw pictures of KG in a Celtics jersey. Like, that's how much I, I, like, wish for it to happen. But, 
you know, they're old school in the sense that I don't think we'll see consistently guys like that in the league anymore. Like, there are guys that are that fiercely just so loyal. I mean, KG literally was so loyal to the Minnesota organization that if he had okay to trade years earlier to play to come play with the Celtics or another team, he would have won more more championships. Yeah, and uh, he was he was the ultimate teammate. Yeah. He was. That's something. That's another thing that Mike Gorman talked about. Like KG had this thing about him where like he tell like people where to sit on a bus and they're yeah. traveling with the team. Like he just had that that leadership that natural leadership quality and, among him. Yeah, and his compete level. You know, his compete level was so high, and um, you know I think that. Eventually, maybe they'll squash it, but I, you know, I think that it'll it'll take a while to get over that. Um, I don't, you know, I don't. I was mad at the time when Ray left for the Heat, but at the same time, it's like, you know, I I get where he's coming from, and as a Celtics fan, you know, we don't have to like it, but at the same time, you know, it is it is what it is, and yep. I mean, yeah. I mean, what can you do about it now? Nothing. I just wish. That Kevin Garnett came to the Celtics earlier. <laughs> Still reminiscent about that? I, I do, because you have no idea how, like, I remember when KG, um, I think he signed with N1 back in, like, the early 2000s, uh, 90s. And, like, I remember getting those N1 shoes with my cousins and just balling out. Like, like Kevin Garnett's passion, along with Paul Pierce, is what just absolutely, like, captivated me. When I was your age, yeah. Well, that was a lot to take in. Uh, <laughs> it's gonna be kind of a weird note to end off on, but uh, that's all we got for this episode, everyone. Uh, please be sure to stay tuned for more episodes dropping. Uh, I think we'll probably have one coming in next week. Uh, we'll be sure to get that to you as soon as possible. Thank you guys again for tuning in. This has been Nick Harvell, and Mr. Chan, signing off. <laughs>